traitors. More than just the seven deadly sins. In today's episode, we want to explore another attitude of the heart that can be deadly. Like other traitors, this one can end up destroying our relationship with God, with other people, and even crush life itself. Before we get to today's episode, I first want to thank you for listening to Bible Threads as a part of your faith journey. At Time of Grace, we have the privilege of sharing the good news of God's amazing grace through multiple communication streams. There's Pastor Mike's weekly video messages, Grace Talks devotional videos, daily Grace Moments print devotions, printed books, Bible studies, and journals. Then, of course, we have seven different podcasts, all delivering a message of God's grace. I also want to thank those of you who support this ministry. It's your gifts that make it possible for us to reach people around the world with the message of Jesus' love. So thank you. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. So to begin, let's start with a question. What's your favorite Christmas movie? This question always seems to create lots of discussion because there are so many Christmas movies and so many personal opinions. When it comes to choosing your favorite Christmas movie, there's so many to choose from. There's Holiday Inn, Miracle on 34th Street, A Christmas Carol that's based on Charles Dickens' book, A Christmas Story, which is one of my favorites because Ralphie reminds me of me when I was a kid. Then there's Home Alone, The Santa Claus, and we can't forget to mention National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and, of course, Elf. By the way, I don't consider Die Hard a Christmas movie, even though the events of the movie occurred on Christmas Eve. Uh, let me know if you disagree. One of my favorite Christmas movies is a 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. In the movie, there's a character who is the linchpin to the entire plot of the movie. And no, it's not George Bailey or his wife Mary. It isn't even Clarence, who is the angel trying to get his wings. It's Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter is a businessman. He owns a mill. He's a wealthy banker. He has his fingers in almost everything in Bedford Falls. And he's a slumlord. Another angel in the movie, who serves as the narrator, describes Mr. Potter as the richest and meanest man in the county. A well-deserved description, in my opinion. He was rich, powerful, and always wanted more. For example, when Potter comes across an envelope with $8,000 in it, which he knows belongs to Bailey Building and Loan, he keeps it. 
The missing 8,000 is Potter's ticket to putting George Bailey's building and loan out of business. Mr. Potter is a larger-than-life example of someone consumed with greed. Greed destroyed Potter's relationships with people and turned him into a discontented and crotchety old man. Greed was a major traitor in Potter's life. So what is greed? Simply put, greed is having a lack of contentment. In other words, not being content with what one has. Now, we might be tempted to think that those most susceptible to greed are the very wealthiest of people. But you don't have to be wealthy to experience a lack of contentment. Any one of us can be discontent with the amount of money or possessions we have. The writer to the Hebrew Christians in the New Testament keenly contrasted greed and contentment when he wrote, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Like other traitors in our lives, greed is on one end of a spectrum or a continuum. On the other end is a healthy desire to be hardworking, to earn a living, to provide for one's family, to accumulate wealth in order to buy a house or one day re retire. Those are healthy and appropriate desires. However, the shift from a healthy desire to an unhealthy one occurs when accumulating money or stuff becomes the goal of life rather than the means for living life. The Bible has quite a bit to say about greed, both directly addressing it as a traitorous threat, as well as numerous examples of people who had their lives ruined because of greed. We want to explore a couple of examples each. It was King Solomon who described the relationship between money and greed. He wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So, having money, even a ton of money, isn't the problem. The problem involves one's attitude toward money. People who love money will never have enough. They will always want more. Greed is like eating potato chips. You can't eat just one, am I right? You want more. The same is true with those who love money. They're never satisfied with what they have. Jesus, in what's known as his Sermon on the Mount, explained what happens to a person who loves money. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus warned his listeners that loving money is actually idolatry. Loving God and loving money are not compatible with each other. Greed happens to be loving money more than God. On another occasion, when Jesus was speaking to a crowd of thousands, a guy in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? 
Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So if we focus on the abundance of our possessions, we won't be focused on the God who provides them. On the other hand, when we keep our eyes focused on the God who provides everything we possess in life, we will maintain a healthy attitude toward money and possessions. Each day we would do well to remind ourselves what the psalmist said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The Apostle Paul on multiple occasions addressed the destructive attitude of greed. In his letter to the Christians living in Colossae, he wrote, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul listed greed alongside of sexual sins and evil desires. And like Jesus, Paul equated greed with idolatry. Remember that formula. Greed equals idolatry. In his letter to young Pastor Timothy, Paul identified the most tragic consequence of having greed rule one's life. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Since greed is idolatry, it can eventually lead us away from faith in Christ. Greed is a traitor to our relationship with our God. Greed also threatens our relationship with other people in that it prevents generosity. If I'm only interested in acquiring stuff for myself, I won't see the needs of others. The Apostle John in his first letter taught that to his readers. If anyone has material, material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Greed makes generosity impossible. Generosity and greed can't exist in the same heart. Do you struggle with greed or do you know someone who does? Have you ever heard of a guy named J.D. Rockefeller? He was the very first billionaire in the United States. He founded the Standard Oil Company, which at one point controlled 90% of all gas and oil in the United States in the early 1900s. Because of this monopoly hold on the oil industry, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 1911 
that the company violated antitrust laws and required that the Standard Oil Company be dismantled. The company was subsequently broken up into 34 different entities, and, and you'd recognize some of them. For example, ExxonMobil and Chevron. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money does it take to make a man happy? His response, just one more dollar. That's a good definition of greed, just one more dollar. But now to be fair, greed does not seem to have been the motivation for Rockefeller's wealth creation. You know, he grew up in a Christian family. His mother took him to church every Sunday and taught him to support the church even with just a few pennies that he had. Throughout his life, Rockefeller attended church weekly, taught Sunday school, and even hosted his own Bible study group. Now, I know what you're thinking. Just because he was a Christian, that didn't insulate him from greed. True. But did you know this? A Baptist preacher once encouraged young Rockefeller to make as much money as he could, and then give away as much as he could. And that's exactly what he did. Rockefeller was a philanthropist. He gave away his money to advance science, technology, education, and to support Christian churches and institutions. For example, he founded the University of Chicago, which obviously is located in Chicago, as well as Rockefeller University, which is located on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. He established foundations to search for the cure of deadly diseases, research that in one case discovered a vaccine for yellow fever, a deadly disease transmitted by those skeeters. Rockefeller has a legacy of generosity, a quality that God loves. On the spectrum we talked about earlier, generosity is at the opposite end of greed. In the Bible, there are numerous examples of people whose lives were destroyed by greed. Anyone come to mind? My guess is that most people, who are at least somewhat familiar with the Bible, might say Judas Iscariot. That's who I would think of first. And during the life and ministry of Jesus, there was an event that gives us a peek into Judas's heart of greed. Six days before Jesus celebrated the Passover for the last time, he went to the small town of Bethany, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. Jesus' dear friends hosted a dinner in his honor. As Jesus was reclining at the table, Mary took a pint of pure nard, which was an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet. And then we learn, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas's heart of greed led him to steal money from the disciples' piggy bank. Then a couple of days later, Judas went to the Jewish religious leaders with a proposal to turn Jesus over to them. 
What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas's greed led him to betray Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. The traitor, known as greed in Judas' life, led him to be an actual traitor, betraying Jesus into the hands of his enemies who were seeking to kill him. So how did it all turn out for Judas? Not well at all. His greed destroyed him. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. For Judas, greed led to betrayal, which led to remorse, in other words, to a change of mind, which led to despair, which led him to end his own life. Greed always destroys lives. Judas may be the most well-known tragedy story of the impact of greed, but it's not the only one. Let's take a look at two more examples in the Bible, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. The first one doesn't turn out well. The second one does. Meet Gehazi, the servant of Elisha the prophet. Actually, we met Gehazi briefly in our last podcast series entitled Intersections. One of the many times the Lord God showed up in the life of Elisha the prophet involved a man named Naaman. Naaman was the commander of the army from the region of Aram located northeast of Israel. Think modern-day Syria. Although Naaman was a powerful warrior, he was afflicted with the dreaded disease of leprosy. Long story short, through a series of interesting events, Naaman was cured of his leprosy through the power of the Lord God when he did what Elisha told him to do. As we might expect, because Naaman was so grateful that his leprosy was cured, he offered Elisha a gift of appreciation. Now, Elisha refused to accept the gift. And why? We'll get to that in a minute. Well, Naaman left the home of Elisha and headed back to Aram, Gehazi's next actions revealed something about his heart. Greed had a grip on it. Gehazi ran after Naaman caught up with him and told a lie to get Naaman's previously offered gift. Gehazi said to Naaman, My master sent me to say, Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. Gehazi went home with the silver and the two sets of clothes, which he hid. Later, when Gehazi came before Elisha, he lied again, this time in response to Elisha's direct question as to where he had been. It soon became apparent that Elisha knew the truth, which had been revealed to him by God. 
Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Then came Gehazi's punishment. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. And just like that, Gehazi was a leper. Now, during their conversation, Elisha asked Gehazi an important rhetorical question. Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Elisha's point was that the power of God, who just performed an amazing miracle, cannot be bought. The power of God in our lives is not meant for personal gain. And money and possessions are not what take care of us. The one who cares for our every need is the God of heaven and earth. Gehazi witnessed the supernatural power of God that granted grace to the military man from Aram. But all that Gehazi could focus on was his love of money. And remember, you cannot serve both God and money. Greed destroys grace, and greed destroyed Gehazi's life. Next, meet Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector and wealthy man who lived in Jericho. Very, very near the end of his three-year ministry, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once was welcomed and, and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a profession that was despised by the people living in Israel in Jesus' day. I can think of a few reasons why tax collectors were despised. First, most people don't like paying taxes to the government, but especially when that government is a foreign power who is occupying your homeland. In Jesus' day, it was the Roman Empire. A second reason might have been that the tax collectors in Israel were fellow Jews who were working for the Roman government. Traitors. They were helping the Roman government. Third, tax collectors had the reputation of being cheats. They would collect more taxes than the Roman government required, and guess where the excess taxes collected ended up? Yep, in the tax collector's pocket. That's also why tax collectors were typically rich. To become a tax collector meant that greed had set up shop in a person's heart. Greed led to tax gouging. Greed led to putting money above relationships, either a relationship with God or a relationship with other people. That's why they were despised. That's why they were social outcasts. We also get a glimpse into the attitude of people toward tax collectors when Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' home. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
We don't know the details of the conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus, but we know the outcome. Grace moves Zacchaeus's heart of greed to one of repentance and generosity. He told Jesus as evidence of his repentance, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. To which Jesus responded, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus had been lost. Through Jesus' grace and forgiveness, he was now saved. There's another word for greed in our culture today. It's called materialism. And it's just a different way of talking about greed. Materialism is when acquiring money and possessions is more important than serving God and other people. Materialism can be a traitor in our life. It can undermine our relationship with the God of abundant grace and our relationships with others. Generosity, on the other hand, toward others, is an indicator of a good and healthy attitude regarding the money and possessions God has given to us. Let's watch out for greed in our hearts. It can be deadly. Let's instead live with a heart of generosity. That can be life-changing. Traitors. They're the attitudes that can betray our relationship with our God, with others, and even with ourselves. In our next episode, we'll explore the traitor known as Envy. If you have any questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and God bless.